<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. Because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Pick God, Pick. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our week in entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison Skinner. And... (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. I I see we're doing last names now. All right. Oh, it's Edison Skinner, everyone. Where did that come from? (laughs) I don't know. That was funny. And I'm Edison, and this week we meander into a little frontier village in 1800s Oregon. We don't talk a whole lot. We mostly spend lots of time picking mushrooms and just quietly observing the townsfolk going about their business. That is until the wealthy territory governor brings something into town that changes our luck. A simple, single cow. Our film this week is First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichardt, and starring John McGarrow and Orion Lee as Cookie and King Lou, two strangers who form an unlikely yet deep friendship and work together to start a baking business in hopes of creating a better life for themselves. The problem is that milk is a key ingredient of their sweet treats, and the only way to get the milk is to steal it from the wealthy landowner's cow in the dark of night. First cow asks the question, is friendship the key ingredient in baking the delicate oily cake that is the American dream? Mm-hmm. First impressions, Helen. My first impression, there are two kinds of people in this world. The first comes across a human skull in the woods, gets freaked out and calls the cops. The second comes across a human skull in the woods and proceeds to dig up two entire corpses with their fingertips. I am the former. What is wrong with you, Aaliyah Shawkat? <laughs> the fuck? So true. <laughs> my first impression is that this opening shot of a giant barge just this single shot of it entering some channel it's very slow and unremarkable and i'm betting it already gives us a sense of the like laborious pace of this film but that's okay i am in the mood for that tonight so let's go sinclair how about you First impression for me, I'm already being pulled into the film by its melodious score, natural environment, and enticing stillness. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I'm the only one that uh, noticed the corpse thing then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I 100% agree with you. I am definitely in the former category as well. Yeah. I'm going to see that skull and I'm not about to dig it up. No, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. She digs up two entire corpses. With her fingertips. She's got a, you know, a sense of the macabre. Sinclair, you would Uh, probably do that, wouldn't you? No, you'd never be in the forest. That thing's... (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) So why don't we get into the storytelling of First Cow? You know, something that I thought was really interesting, that this opens before we even see a shot with a 
quote from William Blake's Proverbs of Hell. Mm-hmm. And it says, the bird a nest, the spider a web, man friendship. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because um, a spider's web and a bird's nest are have two different purposes, right? They're both oh, homes, but yeah. one is to like trap, uh, trap prey, and one is to raise, you know, and provide safety. And mm. I thought man's friendship can be both. And, and that mm-hmm. quote was really interesting. And I thought, oh, how are they going to explore this particular dynamic um, throughout the film? Yeah. yeah. And I really liked that quote at the beginning of the, the film as well. And it, it definitely gained more purpose as as the film went on. But I found it really interesting to use because, yeah, a, a bird making a nest and a spider making a web these are creations that come directly from these two species. They're self-made where mm. humans, I find, need people. We mm-hmm. need people for survival. And just like the nest and, and the web, friendship is also very intricate and it's complex and it does give us a sense of home, mm-hmm. which are other th- uh, themes in the film as well. Yeah, I really like that quote. It was a good one to start off the film. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say just right off the bat that I really loved this movie. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. so glad. I, I'm When I texted yeah. you and I said, like, you know, be prepared that it's slow, that wasn't yeah. a read. Like, I also actually really loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you aren't in the right mood for it, you might not be open to its particular charms. Yeah, I mean, I it, it definitely took me a while to get into it. And I think that this is a slow burn. But I think that this is such a wonderful example of unique storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the three of us often talk about how, you know, there are certain stories that have been done before and we're so tired of seeing the same thing being told over and over again. And I, I feel as though this is that this does not fall into that category. I think that this is really unique storytelling. I agree mm-hmm. completely with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, a very quiet, contemplative film. There's nothing pretentious about it. I find no. her filmmaking to be very impactful while being very modest, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. And I've I've mentioned her film, Wendy and Lucy, on the podcast before, and I have to mention it again <laughs> because it's a film that really, really affected me. And there were a lot of themes in this that harken back to that film for me Mm. Wendy and Lucy ruined me Mm. (laughs) it's about a woman played by Michelle Williams who her and her dog are traveling to Alaska so she can find work and certain things happen that because of her financial situation she has to make really tough decisions and there was a lot of that in in First Cow and Kelly Reichardt has said that she makes films about people who don't have a safety net Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, we definitely see this with the character of Cookie. He's he's been dealt a bit of a bad hand. His parents died, and he says he's always been on the move mm-hmm. uh, ever since, trying to survive. And King so, Lou as well, who's a Chinese immigrant mm-hmm. in a country that you know is notoriously racist. Well, and I mean, speaking of our characters not having a safety net, when we first meet Lou, he's literally crouching hiding alone in the woods with no clothes yeah he has literally nothing naked (laughs) having just run from Mm -hmm. like russian villains of some kind i just found that 
the relationship between Cookie and Lou was so beautiful and delicate. And I, I found that they both genuinely wanted to build, you know, a relatively honest and fulfilling life for themselves in this environment that was, you know, survival of the fittest, dog eat dog. And yeah. Lou, I fit into that world more so than Cookie for sure, but at least Cookie was not made for that world. And they, you know, found such companionship and friendship in one another amongst this really primitive setting. Yeah, I I think that this whole film hinges on their friendship, of course. Yeah. Um, and it works so well because it's so easy and natural. Um, you, There's something about Cookie, the character. He's just so tender and soft mm-hmm. and kind. And you can feel that right away. And he's quiet, but it's not in an uncomfortable way. It's in a like kind of warm, welcoming way. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of a dark side to this film, though, that I find interesting because the setting feels so comforting it gives you this I think it gives you a false sense of security in a way definitely because there is a lot of danger (laughs) in this film and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of conflict and questions to ask Mm -hmm. yourself while you're watching this film you know they are friends yes but they also become business partners and with that Mm -hmm. becomes a conflict Uh, with how you want to go about things like Lou is someone that has decided that to obtain a dream you need to take what you can when you see the opportunity arise whether it's stealing or not so where does morality begin and where does it end when it comes to survival are there Mm -hmm. rules can you steal to get your start or is there another way and it's hard when you see people in a desperate situation like Lou says in the film we need leverage and I think a lot of people anyone who's ever started a business you know thinks about that that don't come from money they think I, I need leverage I need that's what the first cow was to me first cow is everybody needs that first cow to get going a hundred percent you know yeah. could Cookie and Lou have approached cheap factor with the idea of the business and maybe offered a cut of the profit for using the cow but it's hard because you need to make the first batch of the baked goods you need that first cow to have anything to show mm-hmm. yeah so it's like what came first tough. the chicken or the egg yeah and who would the, yeah. like would this person would he have listened to them or even spoken to them you know what yeah. i mean there's an element of like the american dream that is mm-hmm that is inherent in so many stories that we know, right? Like stories even like Robin Hood or even like Aladdin that aren't set in America, but that still have this idea of like, you have to do what you can. You have to do what you have to. Gotta eat to live, gotta steal to eat. Or -hmm. like steal from the rich (laughs) to like build yourself up. It's a kind of a universal idea there. And... Yeah, I, lo- I just thought it was interesting. Well, yeah, and that sort of brings me into my point, how this film examines the class system. Yeah. Because, you know, we're going 200 years previous, all the way back to 1820, and seeing the class system start to take effect there. And, you know, it's something that we've observed in so many different ways in film. And, you know, one that comes to mind most recently would be Parasite. But, you know, think about Parasite in comparison to this film. They're so completely different films, but examining class. And, you know, we have Cookie and Lou that are both at pretty much at the bottom of the totem pole who come together, utilize their combined skills, 
you know, start to see a profit. And, you know, we're used to seeing them in, in their shack and seeing other people in their tiny, tiny little, you know, it was the one time I felt okay about my 500 square foot apartment <laughs> was seeing these shacks in, in this movie. But then we're taken to the chief factor's house and all of a sudden, you know, that wealth disparity is so alarming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have that captain who starts talking about the latest fashions in Paris and you and it's it becomes so apparent how how grossly far apart these two worlds are and how the wealth is so different and so obviously not equally dispersed amongst people. Okay, we have to talk about the cow. Because you guys know how much I love the cow. Yeah. In this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I kept texting you and I was just saying that, that I can't have anything happen to that cow. That cow is so mm-hmm. fucking cute. I can't. <laughs> I love the cow. You don't think about the cow, you know, mm. that much in life as a symbol. So I really, when I was doing my notes, I was really thinking mm. about what a cow represents. <laughs> I was too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started looking up what uh, a cow spirit animal represents. Tell <laughs> okay. us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this okay. So, right up my alley. <laughs> yes. So the cow represents wealth and prosperity and power mm. and mm-hmm. it's mother's milk. It's a provider. Mm -hmm. And this really got me. The eyes of the cow represent compassion and they have a steady Mm -hmm. gaze and you feel as if the cow is looking deep into your soul. They are the eyes of a being used to unending sacrifice. They sacrifice for you. And this is what that cow was in the film. It had lost its, its mate. Yeah, I know. For the advancement of others. I can't. I I can't. (laughs) And that was an, such an, another beautiful theme in this film, how we, as you know, modern society, commodify and exploit the earth. Yeah. Yeah, it really does allow you to, to be on the side of Cookie when he thanks her and speaks to her and respects her as he milks her. Like, it's, yeah. it's simple, but it really hit me. Like, it really made me think about how we abuse the earth and how we abuse mm-hmm. animals and we take so much more than we need. Well, Kelly Reichardt, her films are very connected to nature. Yeah. Um, Nature is always used very symbolically in her films. And I loved how this film used nature to convey a sense of history as well. Like everything Mm -hmm. to me in this film, from the trees to the river, like everything felt like it had a story. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think of the people that swam in the water before you or walked where Mm. you walk. And look, I am not someone who fancies myself connected to nature. (laughs) But this film made me feel naturey as fuck. I have to admit. (laughs) And when I was watching this, I had my window open in my bedroom and I could hear the sounds of Toronto outside, like the Mm. jackhammering and the horns. (laughs) And it and I just said I closed the window and I was like, just shut the fuck up for a minute, Toronto. Like just shut the fuck up. Like let me just be in this meditative yeah. movie oh that's so beautiful that's so zen right of you. This, it made me zen as fuck this movie it's weird <laughs> zen as fuck yeah <laughs> yeah to kind of piggyback off of that my last point about storytelling is the time comparison that exists mm-hmm. here you know and how the opening shot is that barge 
mm-hmm. slowly moving across the river, delivering goods. And then you compare that to the image of the cow mm-hmm. yeah, being moving across that river, delivering goods, so mm-hmm. to speak. And it made me think so much about abundance mm-hmm. and how us in 2020 – Yes, it's been a terrible year, but we are we have so much abundance in our lives. We have so much accessibility to so many goods. Yeah, and you want to hear abundance? I Uber. <laughs> <laughs> I got Krispy Kreme from Uber Eats. <laughs> oh my wow, god! Wow, that's a new low. <laughs> a dozen, a dozen. <laughs> well, and like my deodorant ran out, so I've been getting my deodorant from the Netherlands for the past year, and. <laughs> It like ran out, so I had to go into Rexall today to buy some random deodorant, and I hadn't shopped there for so long. And I was like, "What deodorant yeah. do I pick?" There are literally eight hundred different kinds. Yeah. Like imagine, imagine like transporting someone from like Cookie into our world right now. Yeah, we all have to take a step back and go milk a cow. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about performances? How did we feel about the performances? I thought that they were. Really great. I mean, this is really like a two-person show, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that John Magaro was kind of perfect as Cookie. At mm-hmm. at the very beginning, with his look and everything, I thought, oh, this is such a Shia LaBeouf role. But totally. Oh, that yeah. was my thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> as it, like, continued on, though, he has a softness and a, and a like, ease about him that Shia just does not have, right? Shia yeah. has the frantic yeah. energy. And he would not have been right for it. But there's just something so, I don't know, warm and lovely and soft about his performance. I thought it was refreshing to watch some someone that I'm not so mm-hmm. familiar with. It, it, mm-hmm. it was nice. I thought he fit the film perfectly. He was so gentle. Oh, and that bonding with the cow just... I know. Yeah. <laughs> well... Yes, I agree. My very first thought was, oh, my God, is that Shia LaBeouf? I knew it wasn't, but he looks so much like him. But yes, so much more understated. And it it really made me want to just watch more of his work. I'm I'm very intrigued by him as an actor. Mm -hmm. Also, I have to say, when Toby Jones came on the screen, all I could think about was him playing that Donald Trump-esque character in Jurassic (laughs) World and getting, like, viciously eaten by a dinosaur. (laughs) Right. That's all I could think of. <laughs> he's always menacing to me. As I, soon as I see always him, I, ooh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I felt like the scenes with him in that world, it didn't land as much for me. It, it almost mm. brought me out of it, if I'm honest. But in making this relationship between Cookie and Lou authentic, these actors have to have a real natural rapport. And I thought that John McGarrow and Orion Lee did. Mm-hmm. And King Lou's character is much more like sharp and you can Mm -hmm. see his mind always going. He's always thinking about opportunity. He got to where he is because he has had to fight every step of the way and hustle and do whatever he can do in a much more calculated, um, active way than I think Mm -hmm. Cookies had to do. And I thought Orion brought that kind of tenacity to the character while also being incredibly warm and... Mm -hmm lovely mm-hmm. yeah their friendship was really interesting their chemistry as well because yeah Lou was the enterprising one and Cookie was mm-hmm. kind of the talent and had the dream right. but may not have been able to accomplish anything without Lou's tenacity so it was an interesting dynamic yeah I mean I had moments of even thinking are they is this a gay relationship are they falling in love with each other like I almost started to feel that 
in a beautiful way like in a just like wow these two people are connecting and appreciating each other so much that it like almost feels romantic to me and it was I don't know yeah their chemistry was wonderful I really appreciate that they just left that completely ambiguous Mm -hmm. we really don't know it could have been going that way but there was no real indication that it was and there was no real Mm -hmm. indication that it wasn't it just right was ambiguous and I really appreciated Mm -hmm. that just like the ending I have to say Mm -hmm. like I I really appreciated the ambiguity of that ending I like that we don't know what happened we can guess they were being hunted Mm -hmm. you know we can guess what happened there but maybe not maybe they got away and then they became lovers and that was like a different place in the forest that they just laid down themselves at the end of their life and only to be discovered by creepy grave digger 200 years later (laughs) (laughs) anything technical we want to discuss all i really wanted to say is i was so enamored by the world that was created in this film you know, and the simplicity of it, like watching Cookie pick mushrooms and crush up nuts and pick blueberries and bake. Like it was so, it was handled so delicately and it was so beautifully shot. It, I was really enamored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved the score in this. Mm. The score gave me similar feelings that I, that I get when I watch Nebraska, which is mm. one of my favorite scores. Yeah. It's um, very contemplative. It actually yeah. makes you want to just go on a road trip and just think about your life and the people mm-hmm. you've met along the way and the people you've lost touch with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, very contemplative score. I thought that the cinematography was very modest and basic. And and I don't mean that in as a read. There weren't really any inventive Flexes. or creative <laughs> yeah. shots necessarily, but there was nothing flashy. But there's also, yeah. it, it, that wouldn't have made sense in this story. Mm-hmm. And so I actually appreciated it in this context. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Th- imagine this, but through the lens of like Alfonso Cuaron, like it's right. a total, it becomes a totally different story when you add all of that like visual splendor. And this didn't have that. It was just very naturalistic. All right. <laughs> so what's the last word on First Cow? <laughs> Uh, last word for me this movie is a slow burn but I recommend putting your phone away and focusing on the film and I don't think you'll regret it it's really beautiful Mm -hmm. Sinclair last word for me First Cow is a modest thoughtful serene and gentle film that still manages to convey its importance and relevance be in the mood for this one. <laughs> Give yourself yeah. over to its stillness if you decide to watch mm. it. Yeah. The last word for me is this is just a really poetic, quiet little movie. And mm. if you can just like sip on a cocktail and watch it and take your time mm-hmm. and enjoy it, it has some uh, lessons and some messages that are really lovely. Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. This is our week in entertainment. Helen, what did you pick? (laughs) Okay, I chose a film from 1996. No, it is not fear. It is primal fear. You were close. Oh, damn it. The answer we were looking for was what is primal fear, Edison? (laughs) Oh, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Trebek. 
I know. Yeah. Okay, so this is directed by Gregory Hoblet, starring Richard Gere, Edward Norton, and Laura Linney. Primal Fear tells the story of overly confident defense attorney Martin Vale, played by Richard Gere, who decides to represent a young man named Aaron, played by Edward Norton, who's charged with brutally murdering an archbishop. Laura Linney is the lawyer for the prosecution and Martin's love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I this do is not a- remember this film. I don't think I ever saw this. Oh, I love oh, this Oh my film. God, Eddie. This I don't is, think I've ever seen a, this. A fav- I love this film. This movie yeah. is so good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also could not believe I hadn't seen it. This is a fantastic psychological thriller from the 90s. They just don't make movies like this anymore, you guys. This well, is don't yell a- at us. Well, I have to you yell guys. at somebody. Um, <laughs> this is one of those like 90s gems. It's so good. Along with the main cast members that I already mentioned in our supporting cast, we have Maura Tierney. She works for Martin. Her part is really small and insignificant, but I just really like her. So I was happy mm-hmm. to see her. And we also have Frances McDormand playing the psychiatrist who assesses Aaron's sanity. And she's really good in it. It's a, it's a different mm-hmm. role for her. Um, the story is, is very compelling, but it's really the acting that mm-hmm. makes this film shine. Richard Gere and Laura Linney are so great. And <laughs> this is going to sound really basic, but like they're just acting. Like there's nothing put on. It's not flashy. Like, these are just highly skilled actors doing their jobs really well. Mm-hmm. But Edward Norton is the real star of this film. Yeah. Um, this was his first role. Wow. And he got an Oscar nomination. <laughs> yeah. I think this uh, is one well, of the best performances. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, this, his, his acting like, blew me away <laughs> when yeah. I watched this film. It's amazing. It's a, you know, it's a well-deserved first Oscar nomination. So about halfway through the movie, you learn that Aaron has multiple personality disorder. And when he's triggered, he becomes Roy, a violent, foul-mouthed killer. So Roy is the one who, you know, quote-unquote, took over Aaron's body and killed the archbishop. And the archbishop had been sexually abusing Aaron and a few other people, so... That was the motive for the murder. In a climactic final court scene, Richard Gere manipulates Laura Linney into triggering Aaron into becoming Roy, uh, proving to the jury in the courtroom that Aaron does in fact have multiple personality disorder and can't be held responsible for the murder. Now, I'm going to give a big spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert. Wait, I'm going to actually take off my earphones because I don't want to hear it because I will actually watch this. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Edison's not listening. Anybody still listening, you still have a chance to not hear this. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't want to know the big spoiler at the end, just skip ahead 30 seconds. So it's not until the final scene of this movie where Richard Gere goes to speak to his client after the trial that it's revealed that Aaron never had multiple personality disorder and he was the actual master manipulator the entire time. Yeah. And Richard Gere just facilitated the freedom of this murderer. And it's... It's exceptional. The acting in <laughs> Edison, like coming, trying not to hear what's going on. The acting in that final scene where, you know, it's revealed that Edward Norton really is a wolf Jesus. in sheep's clothing. When he when he says it, there was never a Aaron. Oh, just chilling. So, so well done. Such a great movie. I highly, highly recommend. Excuse yeah. me. Can I come back yet? <laughs> um, wow, that was very long. Well, we were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not it my fault you haven't seen a movie humming. from freaking 96. I had <laughs> enough time to see it. Spoiler alert, 24 years later. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Sinclair, what's your owie? Okay, so I, <laughs> I watched a movie from 2019 called The Other Lamb. And it's directed by Melgorzada Zumowska. She's a Polish director. And the mm. film stars Rafi Cassidy and Mikhail Huzman. Mm. Yes. Here's a little uh, <laughs> synopsis via IMDb. A girl born into an all-female cult led by a man in their compound begins to question his teaching and her own reality. Ooh, it's right up your alley. Well, okay, This here's the thing. We've touched on cults a lot on this podcast, mm. but I couldn't resist because Mikkel Hoosman is this woodsy, beardy, sexy cult leader <laughs> in this. So oh, I was yeah. like, okay, well, I'm in. And I okay, weirdly, Mikkel Hoosman is where the three of us all align. There are, there are, for, it's rare real. that we're yeah. all on the same page and he's one. There are very few. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, even though we've touched on this a lot, I still needed to watch it and I wanted to talk about it. So the film focuses on Sela, who's played by Rafi Cassidy. You guys might remember her from Killing of a Sacred Deer. She's also mm. in Vox Lux. Very okay. distinct uh, features. Mm-hmm. But she plays a young girl named Sella who is born into this all-female cult that's deep in the woods of Ireland. And the cult is led by Mikhail Hoosman, who they refer to as Shepherd. How convenient for him right. to be the one man in an all-female cult. Right. He reminded me of Jared Leto a lot in this. Mm. But the cult consists of women in this hierarchy so they're separated into wives and daughters like he calls them wives and daughters and so creepy the abuse of cult leaders has been explored a lot in in films and generally the leaders you find they're quite similar so shepherd is in that same vein he's very religious he's messiah-like he gives a lot of attention and then quickly takes it away he preys on the vulnerable but this film, it really focuses more on the awakening of Sela. And mm. not so much a sexual awakening like we see a lot in film, but it's more of a discovering of the power of womanhood. Mm. Not just sexuality, but the strength of being a woman and going against what's expected, what, what is expected of a woman. So this film is, it's not dialogue heavy. The dialogue is actually pretty sparse. This, this film storytelling is really its visual poetry and mm. its visual symbolism. This was definitely one of the most visually arresting films I've seen this year. Really? really? Gorgeous. Aww. And the depth of the visuals is what makes it. It's beautifully vague, but the messaging is actually quite powerful and is really, really haunting. Rafi Cassidy has a very strong face and the camera mm. captures her face so beautifully in this it's actually jaw-dropping and just Mm. the landscapes of ireland their costuming the trees the shadows like it is very very stunning and sensual sounds like and sensual and and also there's elements of horror in this as well Mm. and Sela starts to question the shepherd and everything that she once believed in. She starts to think for herself 
and she starts to move away from the herd. And yes, you think of the shepherd in this story to be the wolf in sheep's clothing. He's soothing and gentle, but he is also very forceful and very manipulative. But I thought this film actually fit this theme really well because the wolf in sheep's clothing actually is Sella as she strengthens and she becomes defiant and confident and bold. The wolf has a, a bad reputation in yeah. stories you would i'm gonna defend the wolf here in terms yeah, of this story. That, you, that would be your take yeah <laughs> she becomes the wolf because the wolf in this actually represents strength and courage and freedom and i also looked up what this what the wolf represents the spirit animal of the wolf and the wolf often appears to guide your journey of self-discovery Mm. which is exactly what happens in this to Sella. And yeah, the, the hunted becomes the hunter in this. It's very interesting. But this film is beautifully female and it's very mm. powerful. It's not for everyone. I don't think everyone will like this type of storytelling. And, and some people don't like uh, films that are just very bare bones, but the depth is there. It runs very deep mm. in, in the visuals of this film. Helen, I think you would like this film. Yeah. Uh, Well, I have to say, I hope that my mom is actually listening to this episode because my mom's spirit animal is a wolf. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, Edison, to entice you, uh, there is a very sexy bathing scene of (laughs) Mikhail (laughs) Usman where they're all kind of washing him. (laughs) He has like a very attractive man bun. Yeah. The other lamb. This is a this is a good watch. It's a cool film. Cool. I've never even heard of this. Yeah. 2019. Nice. Okay, Edison. What did you pick? My pick this week is one of the most influential films in the history of cinema. And <laughs> I hadn't seen it in several years. So I, it was a joy to rewatch Stanley Kubrick's 1968 masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wonderful. <laughs> I've never seen it. A true masterpiece. (laughs) Truly. Oh, Helen. Truly a masterpiece, yes. The film is written by Kubrick alongside Arthur C. Clarke and loosely based on Clarke's 1948 short story, The Sentinel. So the basic premise of Space Odyssey is that scientists have discovered an ancient monolith on the moon and believe it holds the key to like understanding our place in the universe. And when it suddenly emits this high-frequency radio signal the scientists figure out that whoever or whatever it's communicating to is near Jupiter. So 18 months later, the spaceship Discovery 1 is sent on a mission to make contact. On the ship are the astronauts Dr. Dave Bowman and Dr. Frank Poole, as well as three other scientists who are in suspended animation. And the ship's operations are largely controlled by an in-system AI computer named HAL. Hal is why this film fits the theme of Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Because he is programmed, he, I mean, it's a computer, but it's voiced by a male. (laughs) He is programmed to be their guide and to protect the safety of the humans at all costs. But he's also an advanced form of AI, so advanced that he has like emotion and self-awareness. And at a certain point, he betrays the scientists intentionally murdering Frank and trying to kill Dave as well. He says in an effort to protect the integrity of the mission, but Hmm. really it's about him being scared of his own mortality 
which is like a fascinating concept to mull around in your head when you're talking about a computer. And this sort of like existential deliberation is a big part of why this film is just so imperative in sci-fi. It literally changed everything. For one, the scale of the story that Space Odyssey is trying to tell is is literally infinite. It's like a treatise on the ex- entire existence of humankind from our mm-hmm. time as like primitive ape-like creatures through to our evolution as the form of humanity we'd recognize today and then into the future as we evolve into some sort of like cosmic entity. It reminds me so much of one of my favorite short stories, The Last Question by Isaac Asimov from 1956. Mm. And matching the scale of the storytelling is the filmmaking itself, which is ambitious to a degree, almost inconceivable up to this point. 2001 A Space Odyssey was really the first like mainstream big budget sci-fi film. And it challenged audiences in an entirely novel way. Like the entire first 25 minutes of this movie is titled The Dawn of Man and literally just focuses on a tribe of apes. Zero dialogue, Mm -hmm. no humans, just like fascinating storytelling. And then it cuts to this like astonishing space sequence of satellites basically in this like poetic dance orbiting the earth. Every technical element of this film is exceptional, especially when you realize that there's no like digitized visual effects being used with the spaceships Mm -hmm. it's all just models and like masterful lighting work the set design is perfection you feel like you're in the spaceship the score i mean come on (laughs) the film is largely unscored actually but like it's mostly very quiet so then you have these giant orchestral moments it's so impactful also sprach zarathustra like yeah by Richard Strauss, it has to be one of the most dramatic and exhilarating pieces of classical music ever created. And it's so epic in this film. That's a like, yeah, this is a space opera. <laughs> so the first time I saw this movie, it was on a television. And then they had a like an anniversary screening at TIFF. And I saw it on the big screen and I vowed to never, ever, ever again watch this movie on a television. Okay, Mm. let's keep our eyes out because I'll bet any money when the theaters reopen again, there's no releases. So I bet that we'll see a screening of this somewhere and I'm 100% going. There is is nothing like the experience of seeing this movie in in a theater on a a huge screen with the surround sound. I can absolutely imagine. I will wait then for my first viewing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is like visually absolutely incredible. But again, though, it really comes down to the story of this film and the ambiguity of its message. You can find religious meaning in this movie or not. Mm. You can find it optimistic or you can find it horrifying. It's like mesmerizing mm. and opaque. And particularly the final act where Dave makes contact with some sort of cosmic force and is taken on a journey of his own life the Mm -hmm. final shot of the film is like dave as a fetus floating in space looking down upon earth it's will forever be one of the most amazing and like enigmatic endings in cinematic history wow so yes i mean like i feel like we could dedicate a whole episode just to this one movie and we'd Mm -hmm. still just be scratching the surface it has influenced literally every single sci-fi film that has come after it 
And it is an absolutely mandatory watch. That is 2001 A Space Odyssey. So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we explore a career so full of awards. All the hours in the world wouldn't be enough time to watch the countless breathless speeches this critically acclaimed, highly regarded (laughs) film icon queen has given. Over the course of this podcast, my feelings for this actress have been... Well, it's complicated, but I know Uh, one true thing, and it's that this idol of so many little women will be in front of the camera, giving it her all until death becomes her. Though some of us may have our doubts that she deserves all those Oscar nominations, this woman has made us laugh and cry, whether it's an original screenplay or an adaptation. And I'd be telling big little lies if I didn't say, Mama Mia, she's had an impressive career. (laughs) (laughs) So mothers, hide your babies from those dingoes because we're headed into the woods down a river wild. I promise everyone I'll behave while I suffrage it through this segment. She's the queen of the silver screen and the golden statue. It's time to put the career of Meryl Streep in focus. Yes. Wow. (sighs) It is time. Listen, I know I have had beef with Meryl, to say the least. (laughs) I am one of the very few people who are not a Meryl Streep fan, but... I do love her early career, and I am happy we are doing this. I'm going to come to terms with this. And this is a very, very iconic career, so we're going to do our best. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, incomprehensibly so. Yes. Yeah. So we had to decide what movie put Meryl on the map, and we actually went with Deer Hunter from 1978, directed by Michael Cimino, starring mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and Meryl Streep. This is an iconic film. For anyone who's not familiar with The Deer Hunter, here's a quick synopsis via IMDb. An in-depth examination of the ways in which the U.S.-Vietnam War impacts and disrupts the lives of people in a small industrial town in Pennsylvania. I Mm. said to you guys I would not watch this again. Once is enough. Mm. This film shooketh me to the core. (laughs) I watched it for the first time about a year and a half ago, and I have not recovered since. That's true. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I watched this movie last night, also for the first time, and wow, like it is so excellent. It is mm-hmm. so excellent, but it is a heavy watch. This movie is is has some very haunting elements to it. I will say, in terms of Meryl's performance in this movie, it feels weird to say this, but she was reminding me so much of Jennifer Lawrence. Mm. Me too, uh, 100%. Yeah. A hundred percent. There was something about her freedom and her confidence in this yes. role that just so mirrored how I I felt about J-Law in the beginning. It's yeah. a small role that Meryl has really, but it's important and mm-hmm. she makes the most of it. I thought she's exceptional here and yeah. you see her charisma and that's what reminded me of Jennifer Lawrence is this like, yeah, you nailed it, actually. It's the freedom and confidence. And mm-hmm. to see that in someone without with very little experience this early on in their career, just like giving it. She's yeah. so completely present emotionally and so completely embodying this character. Yeah. Like she was 
incredible. Well, she's mm-hmm. also in a very male-dominated movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, oh God, yeah. For her to be acting alongside those particular actors is something mm-hmm. pretty incredible. I think she and I, I, I fully will admit this. I love Meryl Streep in her early career, and yeah. I've said that before. I think she's luminous completely Mm -hmm. it's no wonder that this was the thing that put her on the map because Mm -hmm. it was a small a sporting role but she just leapt from the screen yeah like there's no way that she's gonna not be a star after this all right moving on what is number one on the big three okay well with a career this vast (laughs) Mm -hmm. with how do you pick so many (laughs) accolades we really decided to go by decade and just try to choose one big one from each decade to comprise yeah. our, our three. This one, it's it's undeniable. It's uh, Sophie's Choice from 1982, mm. directed by Alan J. Pakula. The stars Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein, and Peter McNichol. For anybody who has not seen Sophie's Choice, quick synopsis. Sophie is a survivor of Nazi concentration camps who has found a reason to live with Nathan, a sparkling, if unsteady, American Jew obsessed with the Holocaust. This movie is really, really heavy. Yeah. Um, This is one of Meryl Streep's, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least, this is one of Meryl Streep's most iconic performance. The scene where Sophie makes her choice has become an Mm -hmm. acting staple and an iconic film moment. I have a love hate with this movie. This film is eighties as fuck. (laughs) I definitely have a love hate with it because I think that 50% of this film is good. And the rest is Oscar Beatty melodrama. Mm. And that mostly has to do with the fact that the narrator and the lens that we view this story through is actually Peter McNichol, who plays this young, horny, virginal, looking to get laid aspiring writer named Stingo. The film is told through his eyes, his story. Mm. This film actually takes place in 1947 and it flashes back to Sophie's experience in Auschwitz. And when Sophie reveals her past in the film, it's really, really powerful. When it's present day in 1947, it becomes kind of hokey and it has all these like 80s, whimsical elements to it. It feels very disjointed to me. Mm. But that aside, in terms of Meryl in this film, I think she's breathtaking in this. There are shots of her in this film where she's recalling her past, where the camera lingers on her face, and her eyes are so piercing and haunting. Mm. And her performance in this shows the most pain and grief and self-hatred and shame Mm. truly like this performance and Kramer versus Kramer I like I'll always commend I think I think she's luminous in this like everything in her smile her laugh her tears it's iconic it's it's film acting at its its actual finest like I Mm -hmm. will give give that credit and I've only been able to connect with her earlier work. And this is one of those films. Mm-hmm. She won the Oscar for this for Best um, Actress in a Leading Role. And it was well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Okay, Helen. What's number two? <laughs> what did we choose? Oh God. First of all, I have to say that I got tricked, okay? I 
wanted to do Sophie's Choice. I actually said, I want to do Sophie's Choice. And then Sinclair, <laughs> you were like, no, I want to do Sophie's Choice. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll do Bridges of Madison County. And then I find out it's directed by Clint Eastwood. Your favorite. <laughs> so The Bridges of Madison County is from 1995. It is directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep. Meryl plays Francesca, an Italian woman who was a war bride and moved to Iowa with her American husband, Richard, living out their lives on a farm with their two children. It is not until her death that her children discover she actually had a secret love affair mm. with National Geographic photographer Robert Kincaid, played by Clint Eastwood. You know, this movie's fine. It definitely pulls at the heartstrings at moments. It reminds me of The Notebook quite a bit, actually. Mm. Mm. Meryl is very good in this movie, although I do find her Italian accent somewhat distracting you know it took me it took me a little even with sophie's choice it takes you to get a little bit into the the accent of it i found it faded over a while with sophie's yeah it's so it's odd because i don't think it's bad like i don't think she's doing a bad accent but i'm just so aware that she's doing an accent Mm -hmm. i think it's just because you're you can't help but be so aware that she's meryl streep right and I think that especially in this day and age, there's so much emphasis put on like cast an actual Italian actress or, you know, and so it's a little bit weird to just be like, why, why didn't they just cast an Italian actress? <laughs> like mm-hmm. Isabella Rossellini was, was a contender for this role as well, mm-hmm. but it went to Meryl. Like most roles do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here comes the shade. Here comes the shade. I was singing her praises. Starting. The shade's coming in. But she is very emotionally available and engaging in this movie and you know it we are seeing her having this affair with this man coming alive she's this italian woman who now lives on a farm in iowa Mm -hmm. and is a housewife and her life is just so passionless and then she meets this man and all of a sudden is feeling passion again and connecting with this person and it it is really beautiful like the it's it's funny because i find this movie to be melodramatic and sappy but then there are moments where i can feel the genuine struggle mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like what do i do do i leave my husband and my two kids and run off with this man or do i keep this a secret and know that i had this great love and i'm not pursuing it like it is quite right. tragic clint eastwood is just a bump on a log you guys i don't oh understand <laughs> <laughs> well helen we're if we're doing an in focus a Meryl, bump on a log if we're doing it in, in focus, Meryl, we're doing it in focus, Clint Eastwood. At some Kill point me. Too, so I honestly don't get it. I don't understand the appeal at all as a director, as an actor. I it it evades me. Listeners, if you want to tell me why I'm wrong, feel free. But I just he does not do it for me in any way, shape, or form. She was nominated for an Oscar for this film, and it it was very successful it grossed over 182 million dollars mm-hmm. and on a 24 million dollar budget so i mean yeah it's it's fine it's fine <laughs> <laughs> edison what's number three all right the last film on Merrill's big three is 2006's the devil wears prada mm-hmm. this is a story of andy played by anne hathaway a fresh out of grad school, aspiring, serious journalist who begrudgingly takes on a job as a junior assistant to Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep, the editor-in-chief of Runway magazine. Andy thinks she's above the like frivolous world of high fashion, 
But she knows this could open up other opportunities for her. So she endures Miranda's authoritarian rule and is basically worked to the bone. But eventually, despite having no discernible sense of style or taste herself, she learns to respect the influence and creativity of the fashion industry and even learns to respect Miranda as well. This is definitely wolf in sheep's clothing. Very <laughs> Yeah. So, like, obviously Anne Hathaway is the star of this movie, and she's really wonderful in it. But Meryl Streep is the star of this movie. As yeah. the icy boss from hell, Miranda Priestly. She is fucking legendary. Obviously, notoriously yeah. based on Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue. It's so good. Yeah, and actually Meryl was nominated for an Oscar for this role in as Best Leading Actress. So they submitted her as that as well. But Anne Hathaway is the, is the lead. I know, but the thing is that Anne Hathaway is, is definitely the lead. But I think Meryl mm-hmm. Streep's performance is just so kind of commanding mm-hmm. that she fills the whole film. She has so many great bits of dialogue. Yeah. it's It's endless. Like... Her epic monologue when she reads Andy for filth after she refers to a cerulean blue sweater as stuff. That is fucking brilliant. And just like ending everything with, that's all, is the stuff that endless gifts are made of nowadays. Mm. And it was really big for Meryl, not only because of her Oscar nomination, uh, but because it kind of relaunched... It sounds absurd to say this. Like, it's not like Meryl Streep ever had a downtime. But this <laughs> kind of, like, relaunched her into the mainstream in a different way because it was mm. a giant box office hit. It made $327 million. Mm-hmm. And after this is when we suddenly see, like, Mamma Mia, Doubt, Julie and Julia, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Complicated, all of these, like, the string of successful films. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is Meryl Streep has in the past say 15 years specifically, maybe even 20, she has taken to playing characters. She's yeah, she's become right. a character actress mm-hmm. rather than a naturalistic actress. Her style has changed yeah. as a performer. Yeah. Okay, so I think that talking about these performances kind of leads us into her pop culture Edison. What do you think? Yes. I would say that Meryl Streep... Meryl Streep is really interesting because she has been famous forever. She is not a heat score in terms of controversy or paparazzi or tabloids or anything like that ever. Like, truly ever. Her life is very normal and kind of grounded, her private life, as far as we know. But her pop culture moment is definitely, I would say, her status as... Literally the most celebrated actress in film history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meryl Streep has been nominated for 21 Oscars. Mm-hmm. And she yeah, has won insane. three times. The 90s was her like down decade because she was only nominated for three Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that decade. But like the string of it, like, okay, she was nominated for Deer Hunter in 79. She was also nominated in 1980, 82, 83, 84, 86, 88, 89. Mm-hmm. It's Insanity. like, this is how it has been. She was nominated in 2007 for Devil Wears, Wears Prada. She was nominated in 2009, 2010, 12, 2014, 2015, 2017, 2018. Meryl Streep is the most respected actress in the history of film cinema. 
American film cinema. But this is where my beef has always come in with Meryl Streep that I've ranted and raved about is that those early Oscar nominations, I think, are warranted. And then the rest, I just felt, were just such throwaways. Like, why was she she nominated for a lot of these films? I think it was kind of Sinclair, we know you have voiced this opinion before. (laughs) I've had um, I've had a few opinions about these these nominations and these performances. <laughs> yeah, let's take a little stroll down uh, memory lane. <laughs> you guys cannot possibly think that that Meryl Streep scene was good. Uh, that should have been on the cutting yeah, room floor. She was trying to one up Mary Poppins a bit. Give me a break. <laughs> I've comprised a list of all the movies Meryl Streep should not have been nominated for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 2010, Julia and Julia. Meryl puts on a wig and does a Julia Childs-like voice and swings a chicken around. (laughs) This is just silly. Into the woods. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How this is Oscar-worthy, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Meryl Streep plays a witch. I guess as far as witches go, she was the best witch out there because she got an Oscar nomination for this. Who knows? Defend Into the Woods, Edison. Defend it. Why did Meryl Streep? I'm going to take a pass. There's no defense on that one. To me, her performance ends up being the equivalent of a drunk aunt at a Christmas party putting on a wig and doing impersonations. Totally. Okay, Sinclair, go for it. I hated Meryl Streep in this so much. (laughs) She she needed exactly a third of a second. You have to back me on this. She was ridiculous in this. She was a complete caricature. And there's Meryl Streep tossing out these lines like she's in a comedy sketch. I hated it, hated it, hated it. Something that happens to me when I watch Meryl Streep, it's like my brain just shuts off. It's like I don't believe anything she's saying. I cannot connect. I cannot emotionally connect to her. Sinclair. I mean, guys, obviously I would I would love to see Meryl win again, but <laughs> <sighs> if only someone would give her a chance. <laughs> oh, good Lord, Sinclair. Yeah, don't kind of beating the the dead horse there. <laughs> This might be your strongest opinion. I don't... (laughs) And that is saying something. I don't know. I disagree. Like, I I get it. I I do get where you're coming from. But I do really appreciate the later turn of Meryl's career as well. I loved her in those earlier films. I really appreciate her natural approach. Um, But I also think that she brings something really unique when she performs as a character actress. And she takes things in a different way a lot of the time. I just miss that real authenticity. authenticity. Yeah. 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 Totally. No, I can see that. I can totally see that. So for someone who has such a (laughs) prolific career and has been, as I just said, nominated for 21 different Oscars. (laughs) Yeah. Can you find a hidden gem for us in Meryl Streep's filmography? Oh, you're fucking right. I can. And... (laughs) Let me tell you, you would honestly think that for that exact reason, how can there be any hidden gems in this woman's career? But you could honestly play a drinking game where you go through her filmography and you have to take a shot every time you go, wait, what the fuck is this movie? Mm. For real. There are so many on there where you're just like, what? What? Including this one. Let's play a little game, shall we? Okay, Mm-hmm. We're going to play a game called Who is the least likely person you would ever expect Meryl Streep to star opposite in a movie? You each oh. get a guess. <laughs> okay. The, um, who, would you least, who would you least expect her to to be in a movie with? 
Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Okay, we've got Danny DeVito, Edison. I will say Helen Mirren. What? Why? They could be in a movie <laughs> together. That's the least likely person you can think of. I don't of? know. <laughs> okay, Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. Okay. Ron Jeremy, Ron Jeremy for sure. Ron Jeremy. That's a good one. I love that. Okay. So for Hidden Gem, I watched a movie called She Devil. And oh. it's a movie from 1989. Oh, my God. Di- I've seen She Devil. Directed by Susan Seidelman, starring Meryl Streep and Roseanne Barr. Ro- yes, Roseanne. That's right. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Oh, my God. I loved this movie so much as a kid. Okay. So, yes. Yes. Meryl Streep and Roseanne Barr. Quick synopsis via IMDb for anyone who hasn't seen She Devil and doesn't believe me. A surprisingly resourceful housewife vows revenge on her husband when he begins an affair with a wealthy romance novelist. Meryl Streep plays romance novelist Mary Fisher, and she steals Ruth, played by Roseanne's Mm. husband, Bob, played by the hilarious... Wow, she's a husband stealer in Death Becomes Her, too. Yes. So Bob is played by the hilarious Ed Begley Jr., and oh, I love poor him. Ruth. Ruth is very unfortunate looking, very homely, very unkempt. And Mary Fisher is pretty and perfect and successful. She's basically Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> she is perfect in the eyes of everyone and people worship the ground she walks on. And Ruth vows revenge on both Mary Fisher and her husband, Bob. This film is super campy and cheesy, I liked this movie way more than I should have. <laughs> Truly, just like you said, Edison. You loved it when you watched it as a kid. Yeah. Meryl, Meryl Streep works in this the same way she works in Death Becomes Her. She speaks in this over-the-top, breathy voice. And she's dressed in all pink. And she has this all-pink mansion. And mm. it's so over-the-top and hilarious. And she also has this huge pink seashell bed where she has passionate sex with her lovers. It's <laughs> all so much. And I think that this happened because this is a very unlikely duo to be in a movie together, but this was shot during the first season of Roseanne. So Roseanne Barr was a huge star at this Mm -hmm. point and a huge comedian. And Meryl was the biggest thing as well. But Meryl Streep had done such heavy films. I think it kind of Mm -hmm. makes sense for her to want to be in something that's really fun and, and stagey and campy. Now, this film is not an award winner. It's not great. Like I said, I enjoyed this way more than I should have. But (laughs) guess who was nominated for a Golden Globe for She-Devil, which holds a 40% Rotten Tomatoes rating? (laughs) Who got a Golden Globe nomination, guys? Lord, give me strength. No, not Roseanne. (laughs) Meryl Streep. (laughs) I can't. Nominated. So this is where it began. This is where best actress in a motion picture comedy or musical for She Devil. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Truly. Anyway, um, you can rent this on iTunes. <laughs> uh, it's a good time. Okay, Helen, what's up and coming? What What other okay. nominations is Meryl going to acquire? So one of these we have talked about the three of us, mm-hmm. not on the podcast in private. The prom. This is coming out on Netflix oh, December no. 11th. 
Aren't you so excited for the Sinclair? Oh my god, I'm puking in my mouth right now. Wasn't this I one your most wait. anticipated for the year? Oh god. Um <laughs> so IMDb describes this movie as a troop of hilariously self-obsessed theater stars swarm into a small conservative Indiana town in support of a high school girl who wants to take her girlfriend to prom. Yeah, this is campy, this is a musical. Truthfully, I was like, ew, this looks so gross. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, I actually kind of want to watch this. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Edison and I are gonna love it. Yes, I cannot wait. Then we have a film that is completed called Let Them All Talk. This is directed by Steven Soderbergh. Oh no, it's Laundromat Part Two. No. Uh, oh god. Oh, I forgot that oh great. Can't wait till you hear the third one. Uh, um I forgot he did Laundromat. If you say Big Little Lies season three, I'm turning no. my mic off and going to bed. No, 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 no. So let them all talk. In this comedy, a famous author goes on a cruise with her nephew and a group of friends. Oh, um, interesting. Who plays her nephew? Lucas Hedges. Okay, great. He's awesome. And her friends are um, Diane Wiest and Candace Bergen. Okay. Stop it. I cannot wait. This is going to be amazing. Lastly, this is in pre-production. Don't Look Up. Oh, written yes. Written and directed by Adam McKay. Oh yeah. my god. With everybody. With literally With everybody. everybody. Literally this everybody. This is the most Oscar movie that you can oh imagine. Oh my god. Horrible. So a pair of astronomers try to warn everyone on Earth that a giant meteorite will destroy the planet in six months. Here's the cast. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> oh god. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh my gosh. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Oh, okay. I can get down with that. Meryl Streep. Uh, Jonah Hill. Okay, yeah. Matthew Perry. Okay. And Ariana Grande. Oh my god. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Um What is okay. happening? But, but seriously, that is the most outrageously stacked cast that I have heard of in like I can't even get my head around oh, that. God. Truly. What a circle jerk. Truly. No, stop it, Sinclair. Stop it. Stop it. No, I will not I will not abide by this cynicism and misery. No, this movie is going to be amazing, and that's all there is to it. We'll see. All right, I'm exhausted. There's only one way to finally end this in focus Meryl Streep. And that is playing a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. In my case, I would like just kill, kill, kill. Oh stop. <laughs> But let's start it off. Edison, what film do you want to marry? Mamma Mia. Here oh we go again, Mama. How can I resist ya? How can I resist marrying Mamma Mia? <laughs> I want to live in a Greek island, yes, and find love and have a cute little <laughs> restaurant and place and just live it. I love it. I love it so much. How about you, Helen? I'm marrying Kramer versus Kramer. Mm. Oh, okay. That's a, that's I, a let- rocky marriage. I know that's a the film is about a, the like a marriage dissolving, but I just actually really love this movie a lot. I think it's great. I think that she's great in it. I think it's just a great movie. I I love it, and I'm marrying it, and you can't stop me. <laughs> Sinclair. Okay, so for Mary, I'm gonna marry Angels in America. I know I'm cheating hmm. a little bit because it's a HBO miniseries, but I love this. This is my favorite miniseries. I don't think she's great in it. She's a bit quite campy in it, but this is fantastic. I could I could just watch this 
forever. It's so good. It's mm. just such a master class in everything. Mm-hmm. I love, mm-hmm. I love, love, love it. Yeah. Okay, Edison, what film do you want to fuck? I'm going to fuck Out of Africa. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Robert Redford is dead sexy in this movie. And mm. honestly, there's just something so like majestic and feral about a love affair in the African safari, all the wild animals <laughs> and danger and the, the obscene splendor of the natural beauty. Aphrodisiacs abound. Oh, okay. <laughs> Helen, what are you going to fuck? I will be fucking the deer hunter. Thank you very much. Oh my God, um, Helen. Okay, yes. Robert De Niro is just the sexiest. I cannot get enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> enough said. Sinclair? Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to fuck It's Complicated. I actually really like this film. Yeah. There's it's just great. like really it's nice great. houses and there's so much food in this <laughs> film. And I think actually Meryl Streep is quite sexy in this, to be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is one of her later films that I actually really liked. Because she plays a real person and not a character. Because mm-hmm. she plays a real person. I think she's actually really lovely in this. And everything is just attractive in this in this movie. True. Mm. And there's just so much food. <laughs> she's always... a baker. It's perfect. She, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm, she's got a nice house. Yeah, yes. it's nice. Yeah, it's a comfort fuck. <laughs> <laughs> a comfort fuck. <laughs> <A> comfort fuck. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, Edison, you got to kill one. What's it going to be? Oh, the laundromat. Easy, dead. I cannot. Oh, fuck. I know. That's so Jesus. horrible. Helen? Yeah, I. that was on my list. I figured one of you would kill it, so I have a backup. My backup is The Post. Oh. I know. Wow, you know, I thought Sinclair would kill the You're preaching post. to the choir. You're preaching to the well, choir. Well, I got to go first, so. <laughs> Sinclair, you have a plethora of options. I what have, are you choosing? I, I don't even know. My brain is short-circuiting right now because there's so... I've been waiting for this moment for so long. There's so many... Like, there's so many. Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, God, oh, you I have, can't have, feel that. Have Edison, you seen Florence Edison Foster is Jenkins? I'm so convinced I haven't seen Florence Foster Jenkins. You haven't. And I have told you I saw half of it. Half no, of the you film. did not. I don't believe that. You didn't see it. Oh my god, the laundromat. Okay, you already killed that. I hate that. Uh, the post. I ranted about that. I don't. Okay, I know what I'm gonna kill. Oh my god, there's so many. Um, I'm gonna kill August Osage County. What? Oh, I like that movie. Honestly, I just she was Too not. Much. She wasn't convincing as a person, mm. a drug addict, um, mm. anybody. And I know the film was a bit of a dark comedy but i just i she was not a real person she got so many accolades for that role and mm. i ranted about that one for a while also i want me can i kill mary poppins returns too <laughs> just her yeah her, go for her it segment in you, that. Ju- you just want to kill her part of that and i'm gonna kill the prom <laughs> too coming up okay stop you it you can't kill one that hasn't been released yet into the woods i just i'm kill- i okay I'll, I'll stop there enough you're cut I'm off cut off Wow, the hatred runs mm. deep. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. Check out our website, talkmovietomepodcast.com, and become a Patreon member already. It's only $3 a month. What the heck? I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Edison. <laughs> Oscars for Meryl? Groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs>